Rule Galloway, Spinners of Yarns podcast with Steve Druitt of the Newtown Neurotics. How are you, Steve? I'm fine. Good to see you again. Likewise. Uh, to start the podcast at the, the beginning, where of your life? Where were you born? Islington. Islington. Actually, I was, uh, I was, I was born... Um, I can't remember the name of the hospital around there now, but the, the uh, major hospital, the nearest major hospital in that area. Uh, and and um, I discovered after the fact, really, that uh, for uh, for the first five years of my life, um, I lived sort of a block or two away from John Lydon. Okay. Who, who, who grew up in exactly the same area. The only difference between the two of us is, um, is uh, you know, we come from the same area, but uh, I ended up uh, moving with my family to Harlow Newtown, and he continued to live in the in sort of uh, Islington area. So um, yeah, I, I just read one of his books and, re- you know, and, and through that um, realised where he was, and I thought, yeah. You know, if if I had stayed there, we might have even crossed paths yeah. um, later on. But um, but you know, I was I was destined to be um, moving out to the new town experiment, and um, he continued there. So um, yeah, that's where I'm from initially. So five when, years. When did for five, so you yeah. moved to Harlow in when you were five? Yeah, um, I, I, and. Um, it was we were moved there because my mum worked for uh, Cossus Electronics, um, and the powers that be had um, offered a you know a sort of uh, an encouragement for Cossus to to move um, their North London factory into into Harlow, um, and 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 also the uh, the people that. They wanted to move to work there as well from there. Um, had the ad- added incentive that they would get a, a brand new home. And um, as it happens, the just before that was offered to the people who worked at Cossas, we were about to be evicted. So I don't know all the ins and outs about that, but basically our life was going to be thrown up in the air because we'd settled there for quite a while. A while, and I don't think that you know the eviction was going on, or people being moved out of uh, a landlord's property was going on with the sort of churn rate that you have these days. But um, we got settled into that part of London, and uh, it looked like we was going to have to find somewhere else to live. And I don't know how difficult that would or wouldn't have been, but just at that point in time, Costas Electronics said that. Um, that they were moving the factory to Harlow and that there will be um, uh, transport laid on from outside the factory to go to Harlow and and take a tour around the town and see the sort of housing that they would get, brand new housing. So that was quite a bizarre thing. I don't remember it, but I've seen pictures of it. And it's um, it's, uh, Green Line Coaches, 718. um, So... A coach that were forever connected Harlow as a, a lifeline through to Lon- back to London. Um, people who moved to Harlow didn't really have cars, so the 718 and the 724 were two 
um, Green Line coaches that, that connect us back to a, my parents' old life and they caught those to go back into London see their um, their relatives and that and uh, and visit from time to time and then come back out Harlow. It's quite a distance to cover when you don't, the majority of the people who moved there didn't have cars. Yeah. It's quite a long distance. But, um, um, so the, the, these streets were brand new and a lot of them didn't have any, anybody living in them. They'd just been constructed. So you'd be sitting on this coach going through these completely brand new streets, eerie and empty and eerie like, and then you would all get off at, at certain, at certain point and be shown around the sort of, um, um, buildings and architecture that was, was, was being put in place into this new town. And the, you know, the way that the houses were built and, and, uh, and placed was radically different from what people used to in London. Yeah. A lot of green space around each of the, uh, uh, the housing estates so it's sort of for, for many of the people who, who took that trip to think about moving with Costa it was very much like being moved into the countryside like almost like uh, you know really moving into the countryside whereas a lot of the towns still hadn't been built and it was never planned to be just idyllic it was meant, it was meant to move a lot of people into that area um, and a lot of buildings still needed to be taken place, but built into this concept of the new town was to have lots of open spaces, cycle tracks, um, trying to avoid the close conurbations that happen in London and um, was trying to, to make sports and uh, fresh air and exercise a lot easier thing for, for people to enjoy. Uh, um, because once you live there, they're cost-free. And so it's a cycle track. It doesn't cost you anything to to, to cycle around or to walk. Um, your children can grow up quite often in uh, pedestrianised parts of the town. That, that was um, uh, one of the new uh, approaches. And um, and because there wasn't a lot of people there and, and car ownership was so low, it was really, really safe for the kids to just play around. And I spent a lot of my formative years, the early years, um, uh, living in a brand new house right next to the road and me and my friends would all play in the road all day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah because occasionally a car would come around the corner, you step off of the road and onto the pavement, it passed and then you carried on playing. Or playing in the actual road. That road to, to now, you 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 have you have trouble finding a, a moment when you can cross. Yeah, yeah. There's so much traffic going up and down there now. But it, when we first moved there, um, uh, it was just like the roads were like rivers of concrete. They just went off into the distance with hardly anything moving on them. So yeah, so we, my family decided, well, we haven't got a house. We're being evicted. Yeah. This is perfect. Yeah. So. Regardless of maybe any downside to it, we all moved there and then crossed their fingers and hoped for the best. I mean, it was quite a difficult environment yeah. right at the beginning, and uh, and, and we had uh, we had um, uh, a sort of uh, problem. There were problems within the family that were exacerbated 
I think by being in Harlow because um, normally my sisters who are older than me or, who couldn't stand we were dysfunctional right we were the family was just it brought its, its dysfunction out of London and into Harlow whereas uh, my sisters who are older than me would have enough and just walk out the door and have London at their feet to yeah. do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Now when they walk out, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no support network. You don't know anybody. There's no clubs or, or anything to join. You've got nowhere to go. So uh, one of my sisters walked out the door and then would be gone days because she'd go, go and stay with her friends in London. Yeah, yeah. She couldn't bear it. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and there were a number of other families that moved out of London and into Harlow at that time that had uh, these similar sorts of problems, uh, feelings of alienation. You know, um, the, the, it was fairly traditional um, hierarchy within families in those days, and the, the mother, young mothers mostly, young families moved out to there. Um, they would. Um, uh, the, the man would go off to work during the day um, in Harlow because yeah. the, you know, the idea was to most for the most part they would uh, make sure that there was work in the town for people who moved out there so it was, all the people that were started living there to begin with were connected to companies that moved Harlow so the father would come out to work and then the, the uh, wife would be left indoors with one two or two or whatever children and no support network day after day after day and there was nowhere to go and the, the what shops there were were miles away and uh, and in, because construction was going on all around them um, uh, there was all it was was noise and and um, mud being traced into the house and things going on outside the house making you know make it um, making uh, uh, people within the the home start get startled and wonder what's going on so it's quite a weird experience and in the evening there is just television and that was it and um, mm. one or two pubs but not many to begin with um, so it was pretty damn weird and a lot of people who come out and tried Harlow for a while went back and there was a sort of media interest at the time and, uh, and the, the, a phrase was called Newtown Blues where yeah. people just couldn't adjust to being, to living out there because yeah. it wasn't being moved out to an established new town where yeah. here it is, this is the alternative to London. Yeah. There's a transitory period yeah. in which... Uh, at one point there was very little of the Newtown experience for people to experience yeah. themselves apart from isolation yeah. and alienation yeah, yeah. not good things yeah. and and it's part of that sort of um, background that I grew up in as a, as a child which uh, which would eventually see itself manifest in the name of the band Newtown Neurotics yeah. it, it had a lot of um, uh, it had a lot of weight behind the name um, because um, because it, it it sort of I can't remember the definitive moment, but I look at the name that I chose for the band and look at my upbringing, yeah. and I think two two is four. You know, I mean, it's obvious. I don't remember how I thought 
I'm going to be calling the band New Town Neurotics, but really it's everything that that I was yeah. as I grew up. And as as I after the name was established, I sort of like had times when I thought, was this right? You know, I mean, to be honest, John Peel didn't like our name. He yeah. liked the band a lot, okay, but he, he took exception to the name, and that made me think, well, maybe you should change it. Um, but because my roots were in the neurosis uh, that I saw uh, prevalent with, within our uh, early days in the town, mm-hmm. uh, and for other people as well, I thought it perfectly matched the environment that I'm coming out of. And you could choose any number of really clever names yeah. if you wanted to. Um, but for me, I, I based everything on, on uh, um, everything I tried do was I, I tried to make it uh, as free as bullshit as I could possibly do meaning no airs and graces no over exaggerating the importance of me or anyone else but just say this is what I do this is what we're called and it's based on this something grounded something honest that I could then uh, be creative over you know within that that construct um, so we 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 try we changed our name once. Funny enough, after saying all of that, yeah. <laughs> um, everyone called us the Neurotics after a few years, and yeah. and, and we uh, musically we, we the emphasis uh, mm-hmm. of what we were creating sounded quite a lot different from our first album. So we we decided it might be an idea to trim our name down to the Neurotics. Everyone called us the Neurotics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that seemed like a perfectly um, reasonable thing to do um, and you know the first album was talking about the Newtown experience the second album was talking about um, you know, more national experience and then as, as we went on about global experiences so it's coming coming further and further away from the initial thing Yeah. so at that point I thought well it'd be good to just call us the neurotics it's, it, it, it spans any type of neurotic reaction to things that you feel wrong um, and that proved to be a really really bad thing to do as it turned out because this was before the days of uh, Google internet mobile communications or any of that sort of thing um, we were we were dealing with um, magazines fanzines and that was it really and uh, the distribution of our records was was not quite as global as it is now, but it was going over to America yeah. and Europe and things. Um, when our second album came out with just the neurotics on, no, people didn't understand it was the same band. Yeah. So for many, many years, people thought that the only album the neurotics ever released was Beggars Can Be Choosers because they had no other information to tell them otherwise. And the name change just was a... A split that, yeah, that yeah. cuts off from the um, from the thread, the historical thread that we were going through, the thread which said they were this and now they're that. It just severed it. But it but it all kind of changed as well. You know, music changed in '83, '84. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like a lot of punk bands broke up or changed the direction musically in certainly 83 yeah. and 84 if you have a look at uh, certain album outputs you know so mm. I suppose you had to do something to uh, adapt to 
we were changing. We yeah. weren't going in the direction of other people because we 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 were almost felt allergic to it. I mean, yeah. we're a new romanticism or any of that is yeah. is sort of. I would rather die than actually make an album that yeah. was a new romantic album. Yeah. Um, I, I, a lot of the pop trends in in um, in the eighties, uh, I I really despise. I can't stand listening to it. Um, that isn't to say that I've got a narrow um, appreciation of music. In fact, it is so wide. It is um, most people would be surprised. But that particular that particular vein of pop. Yeah. Uh, does it sound any better today than it did then? I know some people really think it's great the 80s, really the 80s and that music, but to me, it's disingenuous. It's um, it's twee, it's uh, awkward and uncomfortable to listen to, and the instrumentation, the the um, uh, the emergence of cheap synthesizers and things like that. Um, didn't put the thrill in me that it did for a lot of people who thought this was a uh, a way to um, um, to express yourself. I mean, the idea of um, a way of expressing yourself without being a musician. Um, I, I sort of have a, a, a um, I have a, a a part of me that appreciates that, especially if you're doing experimental music. That. Um, uh, and that makes perfect sense. But actually, the pop that was made with it, it seemed soulless to me. I couldn't, I couldn't connect with it. And I think, you know, in, in a way, it's um, uh, this is where taste comes from. There's yeah. an inner part of you that would respond to one thing more than another. Yeah. And that I, I responded to punk really well, and I really enjoyed the feedback it gave me and I was involved in creating it yeah. from not being able to play an instrument at all so yeah. that is very important to me but I just felt that um, uh, I could express m my innermost feelings and it would be even though it's not song music I was expressing something through my soul soul was really an important word in the in the yeah. non-musical genre way and I found 80s music to be pretty soulless yeah so there's no way I was going to drop, uh, put my guitar down and start put again uh, synthesizer or doing anything like that. So that went off that direction, and I'm not considering um, what palms I, or what stepping stones I need to do to become famous. I'm not yeah. interested in that at all. Yeah, yeah. All I'm interested in having found from being a non-musician to being able to create something that expresses the way I feel sometimes well a lot better than um, um, than I can express myself through words because I've attend I'm, I'm dyslexic and I have a tendency to for ideas to rush too fast through my head yeah, yeah. and sometimes I can't express them as I would like to hear them I mean yeah. I, I get my ideas across and people say yeah that's fine but to me I have good days and bad days and and some days I cannot really express the feelings I'm feeling and, tr and trying to relay about a particular subject. But music, that's not done in a rush. You yeah. know, for me that's considered and, and uh, I always need uh, a line to say more than just it's one line or it has to have something interesting through yeah. that line. 
if I could say it one way and it's just sort of um, said in a, a very uninteresting but direct way sometimes it works but for me I like to have something more interesting in it and uh, you know there were times in the early days when people uh, equated punk music to have lyrics that were that had to be direct and had to be um, so simplistic um, that um, that um, you, you, you'd look at the lyrics and think, really? Well, I would anyway, really? I mean, I did have a background of, of liking lyrics that actually said, you know, you discovered it over time yeah. and you discovered new depths in the lyrics and the music over the years. And I was trying to create something that wouldn't just go, oh yeah, I really like that. And, and then that's it. I, want, I wanted it to be um, each song to have texture a nuance um, and interesting uh, ways of, of, um, of describing the ideas that I'm trying to put out. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I a couple of uh, interesting conversations with people who were, were of the impression that to actually to write something that, that isn't really simplistic in punk yeah. means that for some reason I'm not punk. Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of like you're being far too clever, yeah, yeah. or being you're 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 striving to uh, uh, to be pseudo intellectual, whereas um, something very direct is more honest. I get that point. I do get that point. But I think that um, that for me that wasn't what I was aiming to do. Yeah. Right. Um, I was trying to to express my life in ways that, um, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always had this weird thing that I wanted it to be interesting years later. Instead of focusing on, on the now, only in the now, I was focused on what was happening to me in the now, but I wanted to put it into into a, 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 a series of songs that created a, 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 a mosaic of, of different images and ideas to express what I was putting across. So um, I think to a certain extent, you know, the, the, um, uh, the way that music changed at that point in time, I didn't think I could be doing that with that. Yeah. So we, the neurotics changed, but in a different way. And we, we, we um, the second album sounds so much the repercussions of the second album. Oh, incidentally, the, the problem with the name change yeah. is that, um, that that everyone bought the first album and didn't think there was any other albums by us mm. to buy. And the Neurotics albums that are called just the Neurotics got sort of like left in the background with yeah. o only um, a smaller amount of people actually knew, oh, that's New yeah. Neurotics. Nowadays, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. You Google... You can find out on Google or whatever. If you think that if you're looking at somewhere and there's neurotics and new neurotics, are they the same? You do a search, you find out it is. But then it was a problem. So we 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 changed our name and um, and the music reflecting the times. Uh, and this is the thing, you know, the um, you write as you are. Yeah. 
so when we sat down to do our latest album, Cognitive Dissidents, um, we said, what are we doing? What should we, what should we be aiming for? Where, where is the focus? Where, after so many years of not doing an album of any sort, yeah. what are we doing now? Well, lyrically, it wasn't a problem because there was all sorts of craziness going on during that period of which there was plenty of um, uh, plenty of things to to work into the album lyrically that could um, um, it, you know in fact it was too much it was a bit hard to actually uh, pick a certain amount of this craziness to reflect on um, and we had to leave some of it out because yeah. you know it would take quite a few more songs to do, take everything into account what had been going on over the years and these current few years but we decided that you know we would do what what we needed to do is, is to do something that was um, that uh, you know lyrically spoke of the times um, musically would be interesting and keep your your attention yeah. um, and um, and if we wanted to put Hammond organ on it, although we don't have that in our lives, you know, live set, we're still a free piece, we'd do it anyway. We'd do whatever we needed to do to try and make an album of this time. Um, what we weren't trying to do is to try and pick up where we left off after Beggars Can Be Choosers or any of the other albums. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got people who, when they hear the Neurotics have got a new album out, they'd be thinking about, well, uh, does it sound like Beggars? God, I really, you know, if it's like Beggars, I really love that, I'll go buy that. Or someone might be saying, are they picking up where they left off Well, after uh, Is Your Wash and Bring Bolsheviks album? Because um, that would be really good. Well, you know, we weren't taking that into account. The one thing in, that needs to be taken into account is that we... We've had one person die from the original lineup, yeah. and there's been 30 years in between two albums. Yeah. You've got to take him into account that we're going to be different. Yeah. And it would be weird if we weren't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we haven't got the, the strength and the stamina we had of, of uh, early days. So yeah. it was uh, sometimes when the reviews come out of, the, uh, of Cognitive Dissidents, most of the reviews were fantastic. But it was really irritating that some people, well, not some people, quite a lot of people, although they liked the album, immediately spoke of, of uh, um, Beggars Can Be Choosers and nothing in between. Yeah. As though somewhere along the line, um, they've done a bit, a quick recce of the band. Um, they've got this simple review. They've done a quick recce of the band. And of course, the other two albums are still getting lost because it, um, actually um, because of the classification the way it's all been drawn in um, for um, is it streaming service yeah yeah what is it the major one Spotify Spotify the Spotify algorithms um, have had trouble with the two albums so you don't immediately get a link right when you listen to one yeah, if you like this, you're like this. It doesn't. There are various parts of the internet do not make that connection even now. Because they tried to get where we were yesterday, uh, kick out the Tories on Spotify, but they couldn't get it. You couldn't get it to play. 
Well, it should be that. That's easy. It was there, but it couldn't play. Oh right. Well, the the, the yeah. single songs. Yeah, you yeah. got Newtown Neurotics, Kick Out Tours. You'll get them yeah. all if yeah. you want them. But if you if you if you play something, I can't remember which way it, round it goes. Whether you play the older album, it goes and reflect back that there is some mismatch. Uh, we've had a word with our record labels who have handled these things, and it's sort of uh, in the algorithm and very hard to to get right, yeah, yeah, put yeah. it right. Basically, they don't see one another. The connections aren't made. The, uh, the disconnection that we found from the 80s is still built in yeah. by the nature of the, 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 the name is different, you know. Um, so there's that. But um, but there were some people who actually, uh, um, you know, sort of said, well, you know, Steve's not the same, or the, the band's not the same as their first album. Their first album, give us a break. <laughs> How could we ever be? Yeah. I mean, actually, if we had an, um, if we had sort of some artificial intelligence involved yeah. with it, yeah. then maybe they could produce an album that sounds like us. Yeah, of course. Back in, they wouldn't in need the day. You. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we come with all our quirks. Yeah. And and um, of whatever they may be, and uh, and what we're doing, you know, the the, I hate the, I'm not trying to sort of use. A terminology like m- mature rock because I'd hate to be that yeah, yeah, but yeah. nonetheless we're maturer than when we first started of course. out of and course. that would reflect in the music to some degree but we're angry that yeah. hasn't changed the only difference is the years that have gone by so can I because we've jumped quite a lot we haven't you, we? you've moved, I, you've yeah, moved I've to Harlow I've done the same I, thing I'm I, moaning I, about I've been <laughs> waiting to the point where I could point them back so you moved to Harlow when, yeah. when, did, you, when did music become of interest to you and oh um, which bands the music well when I was a kid I was I, I heard what my sisters listened to come across the transistor radio um, I don't my parents were absolutely non-musical so there's nothing I picked out from them but my sisters were listening to music and then one of the first things I was born obviously my parents must have picked up on the fact that I was singing along with songs on the radio or something they bought me a record player um, and uh, a little dance set sort of thing and um, uh, my uncle was a music fan and he lent me a whole stack of singles because once you, you know, they could afford the record player but not the records yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I really stretched their budget just for that so they got me uncle to to uh, release um, to to uh, uh, to lend a load of his records yeah. to, to me and he was a bit of an unusual guy I can't remember exactly how it all come about but he was re- he, he got a hi-fi in his home before anyone else had them uh, the, those bits of furniture these used yeah, to yeah. have you know um, and when you see all these James Last in stereo albums in uh, you know still knocking around all these days in charity shops they were the sort of things you played on them. But he wasn't like that. He, somewhere on the line, picked up on Scar. And he was, maybe he was a bit of a, uh, you know, skinhead in the old days, I can't remember. But he really, you know, out of all the people that I knew in my family, he was the only one who was switched on enough and had loads and loads of Scar records. So he lent me uh, a lot of them. Uh, and they were great. And, um, and, uh, and my parents then eventually managed to buy me a couple of Beatles singles, and I, I really loved that. So, 
Um, so the, you know, this was a time when the Beatles were uh, maybe their second album or something like that. So from that point on, I was plugged into every new release they put out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I remember a time when. You know, I remember a time when I was listening to the Beatles when there was no Sgt. Pepper, there was no White Album. None of those things had been created. So I'm one of the, those people, one of those parts of their audience where they presented themselves as being one thing and still managed to interest me as they changed yeah. and took me along, whereas a lot of other people said, oh, oh they're, they're, they're weirdos now, I'm not interested in what they play now. Oh, no, no give me the old stuff. I went along with the yeah. changes. It's the same sort of um, same sort of um, radical, um, creative uh, um, uh, mutations, uh, mutational path that Bowie would later do. Who would be one thing at one moment, and you never knew what it was going to be like as it went on. And you'd follow those people, even though. And this is the thing: you'd follow them, even though. They made music that was now different from the the album that encouraged you to buy the new one. Yeah, you know, I love that album, and then you get the new one. I go, it's nothing like it. Oh, I don't know about this either. And then you go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm getting it now. After a few plays, and you go, I love this. That sort of journey. That's what I had. Yeah. Um, and um, and then uh, and then. I got involved with the counterculture, the hippie counterculture, and then at that point, music just went bang in all directions, all over the place. Uh, and then it wasn't a matter of I only like this, and or I only like that. It yeah. was like I like lots of different things. That's abstract. I like that. That's soul. I like that. That's bluebe. I like that. I'm like all these things, and I continued that way for quite a while um, until. That sort of um, freshness expired, really, yeah. and it started becoming progressive rock and self-indulgent claptrap, and that's when I disconnected from it deliberately. I found reggae, and I thought I'm leaving that lot behind because that's not doing anything for me now. Yeah, and I went and started getting heavily into reggae, um, and that dovetailed into punk. So it was a perfect path for me. Um, over the seventies, a lot of the a lot of the bands that I went to see become mega famous, and then they weren't that interesting anymore. But I saw yeah. them early on, and it was fantastic. But we, all these things were sparking off in different directions, going on, and that that when when it become a progressive rock, it sort of like was getting really dreary. But reggae was really fresh. Yeah. And then on top of that, before that could get tired, punk Punk's slotted good. into it. And I thought that's that's for me as well because that has done exactly what I'd I'd like to find that, that something has come in and and invigorated each other yeah. and then things have spun on for that so I followed that then and um, um, and at that point um, for a while I was really uh, really only interested in forty fives not yeah. albums yeah, yeah. that seemed to be the immediacy of all of that yeah. Um, and uh, and I I kept with that sort of um, that sort of viewpoint for a few years, and then my mind started drifting again into to different things. But um, uh, yeah, but the, but you know the the difference between the other music before and uh, and the music later on, 
was that the punk part of it was yeah. when I learned to be able to um, uh, contribute a, a bit of music and a, and a few ideas to the world of music myself. Yeah. I never really, I'd already added it early on, bought a guitar and had guitar lessons and couldn't get on with it and given up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I had a guitar under the bed um, and, uh, and a vow never to go to guitar lessons again. Too much like school, I can't be dealing with that. Yeah. Punk come along and said, don't bother about learn, learning before you step on stage. Yeah. Get on stage and learn while you're doing it. Yeah. That was the thing that I loved about punk um, and it changed me into a different person. Yeah. This is the thing. Looking back over the years now, I can see where the crossroads were for me. And I dread to think what I would have become if I hadn't been there at that point in time. Yeah. Because it has, uh, it has enriched me more than I can ever express. I mean, it's, and I, you know, it's difficult to express it, but I do see other people say the same thing on many occasions. Music is a great motivator and a great uh, inspiration. It's, it's all to do with how human we are. Yeah. And, um, and I struggle sometimes to think of my mum and dad who had gone through the Second World War and never really, never really had anything that, that they, they would embrace and bring into our new house, house in a new town. Yeah. There was nothing that come from London that we had and, uh, and anything that was bought was bought once we got there and you know they were pretty mainstream from mum and dad never spoke of going to a gig. Oh, and this is the thing, right? This is the important thing. I got through the entire Beatles career without knowing that you could go and see them. Okay. Although, obviously, girls did in the early days of the screen. Yeah. But that was a different life to me. Where was that? That was a, well, I don't know where, how far away that was never occurred to me because I was in the new town there was no venues yeah, 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 right yeah. I didn't get the the crossover where you go and see a band for the first time in your life and go wow do you know what I wouldn't mind doing that yeah. to me instruments were played somewhere else I heard it through the radio I heard it through records didn't know yeah. what they looked like yeah. didn't know about amplifiers yeah didn't know anything about that, and I didn't have a, uh, 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 somewhere in Harlow to go to experience it. Yeah. And uh, I don't. I think the first band I saw was in Bishop Salford because we, you know, in in uh, the early days, because there was there was nowhere in Harlow. No, yeah. there yeah, there yeah. was a couple of things put on in Harlow, but there were so few that I missed it. It went past me. I didn't hear about it. Yeah. Um, so it took me a long time to actually realise these are not done by demigods music. They're done by ordinary people who yeah. enjoy music, pick up an instrument, learn to play it, and then uh, they pass on that, their skills and, and, uh, as entertainment to people. That was when punk. Punk really put that to... I tried before, it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work because I f was cowered by people who thought that you had to uh, be able to play um, Stairway to Heaven by uh, Led Zeppelin before you could eat, before you could stand on the stage and not be yeah. laughed off of yeah, it. Yeah. 
yeah. punk changed that and then yeah. I took my guitar and my lack of dexterity and together we made something yeah. and that's what music's about it does, it's not about how complex it is mm. how dex, how much dexterity goes mm. into into it for me it's always been one thing over and yeah. one thing only and that is to, to make something that people enjoy listening to yeah. and it gets them there yeah. I mean to be able to actually put ideas and vibrations out through the air to someone you've never met before yeah. and to move them yeah. that is some wicked magic yeah. and that is real magic yeah 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 and that's what you know that's that when I look back at you know the years that I've been playing that's been the motivator since then this this really magical idea that 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 you can communicate in a non-verbal way to people yeah. and they f feel emotion it's yeah. not like it's not like a, a describing a scene and someone gets a picture in their head it actually moves them yeah and um and that and that's what i search for in any music that i that i listen to no matter what where it comes from if i can find the emotion the, the emotional core of it I'm in. Yeah. That's what I couldn't do with, with 80s pop. It didn't do it. Um, so, yeah, that's my... That's, that, that, that was the thing. I mean, when I found out that I liked more than... You, you could like more than one thing and, and they all fit together in your psyche without a problem or your taste, as yeah. it's known. It doesn't matter if other people don't like it. You found that core part of it in... In music and you follow that and yeah. that's what you you like and you know i i don't i don't spend or expend energy in in um as much as possible although it's tempting to rubbish people's musical tastes yeah, that's what they like subjective. that's fine yeah yeah um i mean it, is, it can be quite fun to actually say oh, why the hell are you listening to that you know yeah. you can you can make fun of people yeah. but actually um, there's a good reason why they like that, and uh, and when you look at what you, your own tastes are, you can see yeah. how other people yeah. uh, feel about that. And actually, when punk, uh, when I first got involved with punk, I looked back on my musical taste beforehand, yeah. and had a feeling of, um, of, of yeah, I felt foolish, and I felt um, embarrassed yeah. by some of the choices that I'd made before beforehand. They weren't bad choices, yeah, yeah. but at that point in time, it felt like it. Of course. So I left them all behind, yeah. and then focused on thing reggae, Ramones, this sort of stuff, and then move forward. Yeah. Later on, when I wanted to look back, I've got this vinyl home. I never got rid of a single record. Yeah. And I come back and start pulling them out, and start playing again. Got a decent record deck. Just as vinyl was was. Uh, dwindling in yeah. popularity that's when I got my record deck yeah. ahead of the wave of the current yeah. fascination with vinyl at the moment yeah. and I started playing the stuff and I went back to what I used to listen to and I thought there's room in there's room in me for that still yeah, yeah. that has I could see that uh, I can see where that thread that goes through other musical genres and where it's come from the history yeah. of each um um Musical format mutated, and I could see you know, things in in hippy drippy stuff like Gong that goes right back to the early jazz days and things like that. And it's like a web of discovery. And of course, there was loads of pools of ignorance I had for all of those different um, 
forms of music. I just got the top level of it. Like, no, I don't like that. Yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. Don't like that. No, that sort of thing. And then when I went back and, and realised where the social fabric that's we woven around how one music changed into the next. Yeah, yeah. Who was carrying it forward? Who who was like dying before they could make any more music and stuff like that? I, the history of it all I've just found fascinating. Yeah. So I went back to all of my the stuff that I liked before and embraced it once again and then started looking around seeing what else have I missed? As well as keeping an ear open for new music as well, of course, yeah. which you should always do. So you, you the new town neurotics mm. When did they come about? The first single was in 79, but you, you obviously formed in advance of the, the single. Uh, I can tell you the exact time. Yeah. I can tell you it exactly. It was the night of the Ramones New Year's Eve gig, 78, uh, 77, 78. Okay. Um, which, which one was that? Was that it's, uh, the, the Rainbow. Rainbow. Oh, the Rainbow. The Rainbow. Okay. Uh, because uh, the Roundhouse was 76. Right, and yeah. uh, I hadn't really... See, when punk happened, I thought it was really important to create a local scene yeah. and refuse to go and see the big bands yeah. initially. Yeah. So I didn't get to see the Pistols, the Clash, the Ramones or any of those to begin with. Yeah. And then I started thinking, actually, what you're talking about, it sort of makes sense, like creating a, it's a punk thing to create a local scene, but also it can be viewed as being very parochial. Yeah. And you should go and see the people that originally inspired you. So then I started going to see them. So the Ramones... On that night, uh, um, New Year's Eve, 1977, Tangled by, uh, what a tumultuous year, Tangled by 77 and Tangled, uh, Hello to 78 with the Ramones. And uh, um, we, I went in, the new tenuous thing that exists when we walked in and when we walked out, it did. Yeah. Almost. I, I'm being a little, I'm squashing the timeline <laughs> together a little bit because... Yeah. It was on the way home from the gig that I turned around to my mate, Colin Dredd, and I said to him, uh, do you fancy forming a band together? And that was directly on the journey home from uh, the, the Ramones gig and um, uh, on that night. And uh, um, so, yeah, that evening was when we did, he said yes. Yeah. Um, and we set about trying to find a drummer and... and kick off rehearsals and things at, at that point um, and uh, there, there's a uh, um, there's a uh, some pictures on the inside of It's Alive there's a little one of me like looks like I'm worshipping DD there's me in there yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got my brand new lever on and I pogoed all the way through the evening in a really hot environment and there's water just pouring down the inside of my lever. You can't see that from the photo. No. I'm over-describing it. But I had really long, very gingery hair yeah. and, and there you can see me. Dee's jumped up in, his air, in the air and he's got his two legs splayed out like that and I'm down front going, how much I can do <laughs> but oh god did he did, did, did he so I'm on there yeah and um, they threw out the little um, versions of uh, Gabba Gabba yeah, yeah. and it's got Happy New Year on the back uh, I had one of those I ended up uh, donating it or uh, on permanent loan to the Ramones Museum okay so I've got 
there's a little bit in the Ramones Museum to this day that yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a neurotics section because we covered uh, we covered two of this two of their songs okay. and also done a thing with Action Packed and Rockway Beach done backing vocals on that so there's a bit of a Ramones thing going on there and also um, uh, I t- in it, the, the Ramones were were pretty much uh, non-political um, and I, I took uh, Blitzkrieg Bob and uh, done uh, it's about cruise missiles about the US uh, uh, Hosting the, uh, well, England hosting U.S. cruise missiles in Britain, pardon me, um, and I made that point, but twisted it. I've done it in a sort of like cretin yeah. line, in yeah, in yeah. the same sort of simplistic lines that the Ramones use on Big Screen Bob. I've done a, a, a similar sort of style, but talked about cruise missiles. Um, the band, the Ramones come over to Britain to tour and uh, a friend of mine uh, interviewed him for his university magazine. He said, what do you think of the new town you're off to Blitz Creek Bomb? He said, we think it's great, really good. So that was the point. Yeah, yeah. Next thing I know, the Ramones started to weave politics into their simplistic lyrics. Yeah, Once yeah. I go to Pittsburgh and, and things like that. There was, instead of it just being nonsensical or... Yeah. Or something where uh, you want to provoke, you know, yeah. by having some sort of uh, German connection or whatever. The um, or, or uh, that uh, Nazi, Nazi to Nazi. Yes, I am. They should do it in the early days. Instead of doing that, they're actually um, presenting I leftist ideas. Even though Johnny was still a right winger, um, uh, Joey was was a left winger and then this politics came into the music yeah and um and i point out to the ramones museum i said make of it what you will but this is what happened yeah and they they like what we've done to that number yeah. and then um then what weaving the politics into the cretin sort of um uh strand uh, they they done a similar thing a bit more sophisticated further down the line yeah they presented politics in the way that you'd expect the Ramones to do it it was perfect yeah so uh, the Ramones Museum saw that that, that was a uh, a thread that was interesting so I got a little, the neurotics got a little uh, bit in the Ramones Museum showed where the influence went so you you, you find yourself a drummer and yeah. played your first gig in Harlow yeah, we well, we're, no, 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 no. There's nowhere to play in Harlow at that point. No, yeah. we ended up uh, playing in a village hall okay. about thirty miles outside of Harlow, um, because someone knew someone who could drum. Right, it had to be thirty miles outside of Harlow, which is you know that's how desperate things were. Yeah, but the we 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 got put on this gig and we were supporting a band who had a, a drummer. They were called the Team Beats. Okay. It's not a team band. They were all um, gnarly old hippies, but it was great comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a comic band. Okay. Um, and the drummer, he looked like uh, at the time he looked like Joe Strummer, um, and he, he used to like he'd be like the one cracking all the jokes, a bit like Keith Moon in a sense. 
It was a great band. And we, we got to, uh, you know, uh, support them at our first gig. And the, he said, you know, if you... I said, well, you know, we'll do it, but without a drummer. It's a bit naff, but it's punk. No drummer, so what? We'll do it. And he goes, no, we, you know, you don't have to. I'll come down to a few rehearsals and I'll, um, you know, I'll do the drumming. So yeah. I'll be on with you earlier on in the evening and I'll do my band after that. So he come down and played with us. He looked great. He looked like Joe Strummer on drums. <laughs> hey, what a combination. And um, and it's he looked great. He, he played as much as we, you know, his, his style was perfect. Uh, and and you know we would have liked to continue with him, but we lived too far away from each other. And yeah. he was like into his band, and so it wasn't going to happen. But um, but we played our first gig, and uh, um, and uh, and it went down really really well. I was so scared. But I always remember that uh, Because of the Night by Patti Smith come on and it sort of bolstered me up spiritually, yeah, lifted yeah. me. And that was a song that played before we took the stage. So that sort of strengthened me a bit. And then we went on and we started playing. And uh, the funny thing about it was not having any you know, skills in that, uh, developed skills at that time, yeah. was that halfway through the set I dropped my plectrum and, uh, and then was playing to get through the song and I took several layers of skin off my knuckle and the guitar just was just had this spray of blood all yeah. over it. This is the most punk thing you could ever do on your first gig. The guitar was completely covered in my Les Paul was completely covered in blood and it looked great and it went down really well. And uh, and then um, feedback from from people who we've known for many years, including the people who've done the PA, who've done a lot of PAs in those times. Uh, their feedback was like really good. Yeah. So we thought we've got to do this again. And that. But, you know, it's a long, um, the drum, our drum, we've done an, uh, the promoter of the gig that evening was a drummer. So the first thing we've learned about him was we said, we've got any money, he said no. Okay. And then he said, "Oh, by the way, uh, he was asking if you, um, if, you uh, if there was a drummer around, uh, I'll drum for you." And we said, "Yeah, okay." So the guy who wouldn't pay us for a gig was a, the guy who became our drummer for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's how we kicked off, and of course the, uh, I saw it, it led to the first single, which he was on. But was that self-financed? Yeah. Yeah. How, yes. how, how did that do about? Because it? it wasn't so easy doing a record independently. In it was. It was worse than hard. It was worse than hard. Yeah. It was, because a key thing happened when we tried to put it out. Okay. Um, we paid the money. We made the recording. We'd done all that. Yeah. Um, and we paid the money for manufacturing. Yeah. We picked. Uh, you know, the um, pressing plant, greed and that, paid, I got the money off. There was one uh, in Essex at, at that point. Olake, uh, Olake no, was, no, was in Essex. No, I can't remember, I, no, I can't remember it was now, but yeah. um, uh, the money had come from uh, our drummer's Tiggy's dad, right. and like, it was like counted out onto yeah, the yeah. table to yeah. the exact pound. Yeah. So we paid for it, and that is the point where Thatcher come into power. 
1979. Yeah, and she raised VAT overnight. <laughs> and the next thing we know, we couldn't get hold of our single. Yeah, yeah. Said, you're not getting it until you've paid us more money. Yeah. And we said, we paid you all the money. You told us it was cost this amount. We paid it to you. Yeah. That's a, tr a financial transaction. Yeah. Um, that we've made. And they said, it doesn't work like that. VAT has gone on from midnight last night on anything. But if you place the order the day before, then that's when you've paid. Retrospective. So, yeah, you can't do it retrospectively. You can't do it Well, that's what they did. They wouldn't allow us to okay. have it until we paid that. Yeah, yeah. So from that point on, we hated the Tories, <laughs> even though we didn't know much about them in yeah. those days. Yeah, yeah. That was our, uh, our you know, line in the sand. Yeah. You, you, you got in the way of us getting our records. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was 1979. Um, so, so you made it, but you've then got a seller. How, yeah, how did that? Distribution. You've you, you got was distribution? A, or yeah, we had, we had distribution through Pinnacle. Pinnacle, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, the, and, and then we went down and, and, and um, badgered John Peel, or badgered him by giving him a record. We yeah. didn't badger him in any way, but we said, this is a record we we've made and uh you know if you like it um, could you play it and uh he said yeah yeah fine and uh you know I there was i turned around to the rest of the band and said yeah, it's going in the bin isn't it and i said yeah probably will but he didn't yeah and you know and then he started playing not immediately not that night i think yeah. it was probably a week later yeah yeah you know but he's sort of um He's got a pile of things he's got. He's yeah, probably got there that he needs yeah, to work yeah. his way through. But he put it in to be played. Yeah, yeah. And just when we were given up, because we were like, he's going to play it. If he's going to play it, be tonight. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. We didn't. We didn't understand those sort of things. So we, we all got excited that he might hear something, and then nothing. And then we gave up. And uh, and then when he did get played, it, it just knocked the stuff in there of us. We just yeah. really was an experience that's impossible to describe because after listening to people's records on the radio for all those years and then you you then real you find that you can string a tune together uh and then it goes out and one of the most influential broadcasters on the dbc likes it and plays it yeah yeah you can't beat that you no. just cannot beat it and the you know and the thing is it, it occurred while we were talking we were sh we're a band of shouters you know, we shout over everything at yeah. each other and uh, we're all shouting at once about something funny and Tiki was laughing and Colin was laughing and I was shouting and laughing. I can't remember what we were talking about. And I was just thinking, what's that sound? I was thinking like, uh, someone's playing the tape of us because yeah, we yeah. just rehearsed. Yeah. Someone's playing the tape of us. Is that, is that Tiki's? Sisters recorded us while we've been playing. I said, shush, shush, shush. Right, and one shushed. It was coming out of the fucking radio. Yeah. We had John Peel in the background in the kitchen, and it was like just. We were, as I say, we, we'd been rehearsing, we were all full of vim and vigour, and uh, sort of like being expressive in the kitchen, not really listening. And all yeah. of a sudden, there we were. Yeah. And then this sudden impression come to me of radio waves going out from London and then to every corner of the UK and then to Europe yeah. 
the enormity of getting that airplay because from such a highly respected DJ you know people were all it's tuning into John Peel yeah, Europe United States where they can pick it up if they manage to pick it up um, and he, he went out on the world service as well and he played the neurotics on the world service so it yeah. just went global we were just absolutely gobsmacked yeah the next single was the one that I first became aware of you yeah. when the oil runs out. Mm. Uh, that was self-finance again through Pinnacle. Uh, no, self-financed uh, and uh, and uh, gave it to Peel. I mean, the, basically, it's about the oil crisis in 1972, yeah. 73. Yeah. Um, and um, and Peel was playing it, and also Dave Rodigan. Dave Rodigan, uh, uh, Irish um, DJ. Not Rodigan. No, it's not Rodigan. Dave, David. Oh, forgive me. I'm not very good with names. It's a long time ago. David Jensen. No, no, no. no it's in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, no, Southern Irish. Right. Okay. Uh, DJ. Um, no, I can't remember his name. He started playing it, so we're getting a lot of. Um, Irish airplay as well uh, yeah. when the oil runs out and uh, I, I managed to pick him up one night on it's sort of like Radio Luxembourg type thing where it's fading in and out like he, yeah. was, he was playing it he'd let us know when he was playing it and then yeah, we'd yeah. tune in quite late at night uh, um, so all that was happening yeah. we got we got a lot of airplay on it uh, and, um, and then we couldn't work out why we weren't selling any records yeah. and uh, turned out they'd been you know they, they were still sitting in the warehouse it hadn't been distributed at yeah, all yeah. Yeah, yeah and so it was what you you could loosely describe it as a bit of a turntable hit we didn't yeah. sell any but yeah. we were playing it all the time yeah I mean it made a difference as a songwriter through publishing that was yeah. good but it didn't really do what we wanted it to do but you got some press, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, what happened? That, that was it. Sorry, that was that was important at that time to get into sounds or to get into the yes. enemy. Yes, yes, it did do that, and it got reviewed in all yeah. the major music press. Um, and the funny thing is that afterwards, when we'd done kick out the Tories, and and uh, all of a sudden uh, there was quite a bit of a spotlight shine shine upon us, uh, we re-released. Um, when the old runs out, sold them. Yeah. So after the fact, it went out, and we managed to do, you know, do the the business with, with them. Um, but we're talking about, we are talking about distribution or nothing. Yeah. Um, we couldn't get any gigs. One because there wasn't a gig structure uh, that we we connected with. Yeah. We didn't know promoters. We, yeah. we didn't know how to get a gig in London yeah. none of that yeah. we didn't have a venue in the in, in our hometown yeah. um, so that the idea of you know occasionally we'd play a gig and we'd sell a few copies it's very very tiny amount so um, um, but but we were selling them in distribution so you know further when the oil runs out when the distributors just left them standing in that warehouse yeah 
which, which we went and picked them up from afterwards. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said, we sold them all in the end with someone else who never went back to them again. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was no chance of us sort of selling those at gigs. We just didn't have enough gigs. Yeah, we yeah. really didn't play very often at all. Yeah. And um, we were, you know, the, the early gigs for the neurotics were structured in such a way that our following would, would get, we talked to a load of the friends in the pub that, a week or two beforehand, tell them about the gig and get them to commit to come or, or, or buy, uh, buy raffle tickets, which would encompass entry fee and they would take that money and hire a, hire a minibus. Right. So our early gigs were our own fans hiring minibuses to yeah. be able to get to um, what tended to be village halls right. out on the outskirts in yeah, the yeah. dark yeah, yeah. with no facilities or a small village in there. Yeah, so yeah. everything was transported. The, the, the uh, PA, uh, the band, um, the followers, all were a little unit that would decamp at some sort of really tall and we'd yeah. play and then and occasionally someone would say why don't you come along and we'd get some new faces but it was it was very much what we termed the uh, Arlo front line who right. were down the front every gig that we we played and were, could always be relied on to be there um they, they they were a raucous bunch and they spent most of the time actually sounding like they didn't support us at all but they were always there you yeah, know yeah. they were all anti this is anti that and that and and forever telling us not to sell out or else and things like that and um uh and, and complain if we, we we played too much in tune on any particular night you know it wasn't quite as radical as they wanted yeah. it to be but that but they were great and and they really sort of uh, uh gave us a Never, we could be sure of an audience in the early days despite the fact that we had no idea about promotion no there's no social media in those days uh, the, when we done a gig and we were able to get to wherever it was we were playing easily we would take we would make a load of paste up from flour and go and paste yeah. photocopied um, pictures up that was the only self promotion that we yeah. could manage to do Oh, and we used to write into the music press and get it in the tour guide. Yeah, yeah. We did that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but and when we would we managed to get a London gig, we'd turn up and nobody would be there. Right. You know, yeah, virtually, yeah. apart from the front line, our, yeah, yeah. our crew. So it was good that they were there, but we were thinking, how does this thing work? Because actually we need a, an audience and we need, to yeah. begin with a London audience because it's nearest city to us yeah, yeah. and we come down to London and play and nobody turns up so how the, do we get how the hell yeah, yeah. do we get people to turn up and that is the most difficult thing for any new band yeah, of to, to get that yeah. recognition yeah, yeah. once John Peel started playing our stuff then he invited us to do a session Okay. So we've done a session for John Peel and yeah. then our name was spreading and then we got connected to the music press with sounds at the NME, Gary Bush at sounds and whoever was feeling benevolent at the time to us in the NME. Yeah, yeah. Later on, uh, Christine from the Redskins, yeah. he, he started writing for them. Stephen Wells started writing for them. Yeah. Got single of the week in yeah. the enemy from Steve, uh, Stephen Wells. So then the name yeah. started getting around and then we, we, we got onto tours 
and we've done a tour with Test Tube Babies and we went all around yeah. we went all around the country in a, uh, in a coach that had previously been hired by Kajagugu and still had it on the sides of the windows and yeah. we left it on <laughs> and we went round yeah. from city to city yeah. with loads of teenage girls running along behind the back of the bus thinking it was Kajagugu <laughs> We had so much fun with that. It yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah, but you also you had uh, uh, John Opposition, your yeah. friend from Harlow. Uh, yeah. He started writing for Sounds and did a, a well-known piece in the NME about New Towns. That's right. That and that actually was uh, that kicked off the next stage of the neurotics right. because um, we got to the point where um, we were we were finding that we were going. You know that we weren't developing as much as we'd like to with Tiggy, um, and he was also a long way away from where we lived, and there was problems with he had, had some uh, 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 issues with uh, with his drinking habits, and also he was getting he had allergies on his fingers that made it almost impossible to drum sometimes. So it was like he he had his on off days and on days; it wasn't consistent. So we said we needed to have a, a change. Yeah. So we told him that his services were no longer wanted, but we had to look out for someone else. And in the middle of our um, auditions for drummers, Attila got this uh, piece that he was doing on Newtowns, yeah. and he said, you need to be in it. 82, the beginning of 82. Yeah, I think. May, something yeah. like that. And, um, oh yeah, I think it was. And um, we said, well, we haven't got, uh, we haven't got a drama. Yeah, we haven't got a drama yet, a replacement drama. It's going to look silly with the two of us here. Yeah. So we said, I tell you what, we're just, the drama we're uh, about to, uh, um, to, to get into, to play with us. Um, to audition, we'll we'll put him in there anyway. I don't think he'd actually done the audition at that point, or if he had, uh, we went on to audition him a second time to be sure. Yeah. So it might have been in between um, auditions, but the first we hadn't committed to him on the first one because he could barely play the drums on the first one, right. the first audition. Yeah, yeah. When we auditioned the second time, he'd been at it in a period of a week or two yeah. so much right. and improved so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said to Colin, that's all I need. Yeah, yeah. His uh, improvement from the first audition to the yeah, second, yeah. Yeah. this being punk and everything, yeah. we'll take him as he is, he can earn on the job. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, we hadn't committed to him, but we brought him along to sit in as a member of the band anyway. And yeah. if we didn't choose him, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a third person. Yeah. So he appeared in the NME with us, and then after that was uh, published. We auditioned in the second time, and then we committed. To yeah. It. Next thing we know, we're on tour, and 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 within uh, two months or something, he was in the studio with us. So he had to fucking learn quick, <laughs> really, really quick. So this was this before you signed to CNT. Yes. So how did the CNT? deal come about? The CNT deal came about because we'd done a, uh, uh, a demo um, in a guy who lived in a studio that was in a, 
a big com not complex a, a big thatched uh, house with a barn he built yeah. a studio in there he was um, caretaker um, uh, he was a caretaker for the property until extra land was brought up for Stansted yeah. so that the, the building and everything was going to be knocked down and he had a he had a, a few years in between they initially going through the process of buying the land and that where they let him live there on peppercorn rent uh, and uh, and then uh, when the expansion went ahead it, everything was bulldozed so we went in there and recorded a few numbers in there one of which was um, Kick Out Toys right um, and uh, we'd been playing the night before I believe and then we went into the studio to do this thing and our lack of experience meant that I, we didn't give enough time between the gig and the right. recording to rest. Yeah, yeah. I screamed my head off till I was hoarse yeah, yeah. the night before yeah, yeah. and then expected to go in to record Kick Out the Tories. Yeah. So I couldn't sing properly. Yeah, yeah. So we go, It's Kick Out Tories! And it was like, my vocal cords were cracking all over the place and I couldn't, some notes I couldn't pitch properly because I couldn't make it. And I thought, well, listen to it afterwards, but fucking hell, it's awful. It's really fucking yeah, awful. Yeah. So, um, but we, 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 we sort of um, decided that, uh, that we, Someone said to us, we're putting together a compilation cassette of various tracks. Have you got anything that you can add to it? So I said to the boys that we've only got this. It's, it's fucking awful, but, but I suppose it's got spirit. And I said, yeah, all right, put it in. That's our first drama. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. So I sent it to them and they released this uh, cassette um, cassette fanzine right. with these tracks on it um, and then that got sent down to Gary Bushel at Sounds and at the first track on that um, release um, Militant Entertainment it right. was called yeah, yeah. release is worth, worth quite a bit now um, was us so Bushel put it in press player it's clear the like that. And he went, I like it. <laughs> yeah. This is my interpretation of it. I wasn't there at the time. I like it. This is good. It's the best fucking track on the whole thing. Yeah. It pisses over everything else, which the rest was a load of twee left wingers, shoegazers and things. Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, I think this is great. And he reviewed it in sounds. That review was picked up by CNT Records. Okay. So CNT said we'd like to do a single with you. Um, we'd like to kick out the Tories. You've got something else you can go on there? He said, yeah, minus violence. Yeah, it's great. And I said, uh, so should we send them to thee? Because we did do minus violence at this session. It wasn't very good though, but too slow. But anyway, I said, uh, we've got two tracks for it. Yeah, he goes, no, no, I don't want the tracks. We're going to put you in the studio and record them properly. Yeah. Went, Brilliant. So that's when, um, between 
recording that and recording the single with Change Drummers. Yeah. Um, but that's also what a lot of people don't know about. That's an ownership thing as well. If they've paid for the recording sessions, mm. they own the recording. That's it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. And um, uh, and so we recorded it. Yeah. And um, and they were recording the Redskins at the same time. We both got a deal with CNT Records at the same time, and then uh, Chris Chris Moore and myself would met up for the first time uh, in a cutting studio in, in um, um, Tottenham Court Road and they were doing that they were cutting their lead bronze single yeah. and we were doing kick out the Tory so th our paths met at that point um, and it was um, uh, and it's been supervised by John Langford and um, um, and so that was made and then the funny thing is when when it went to um, to Bushel to review, he said, it's great. It's not as good as the original, though. <laughs> the one I was screaming my my tonsils out, almost landing my tonsils out on yeah, the yeah. on the, uh, the table in front of us, that's the one he liked. He liked the raw edge of that. Yeah. But, of course, we, we'd had rest. We had a new drummer, and, uh, and I wanted to articulate the song... Uh, in a more sophisticated way, just screaming the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was, it was quite a powerful statement at that time because things were getting politicalised and punk was breaking up into little strands mm. with the anarcho-punk, oil music, uh, UK 82 scene, the hardcore scene. So, you know, you, 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 you were coming out with a strong political message. Yeah. This is the thing. Right, this is the reality of it all. Um, when we, when we, we decided to do, no, what happened was I decided that we had a gig, we're going backwards in time now yeah. to the first drummer, Tiggy. We, we, we were offered a gig in Triad Bishop Stalford. That's where we played, that's the nearest we could play the Harlow. Right. Uh, because we have no venue in Harlow, as we have not now. Well, well, we have. We do have a little venue that that, that puts on venues, um, bands occasionally. So it's probably a little better that in Harlow now than it used to be. But um, we uh, we got invited to be the musical entertainment for the TUC doing a, a demonstration in, in the town centre, out in the open, yeah, yeah. on a stage. Yeah. Um, and we said, yeah, we'll, we'll be up for that because any gig that we could possibly get, we'd do. Um, and, uh, um, I mean, we, there was a, leading up, to, uh, there was a time when there was serious attempts to, uh, 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 um, getting us to play in uh, Holloway Jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd never come off, but we would play anywhere. We actually played uh, a benefit for um, knackered horses. Uh, Ada Cole stables would do anything just yeah, to, yeah. to to play, play. yeah. And um, um, in fact, we done one one gig at a wedding reception, um, and uh, the whole of the wedding reception ended up in a fist fight, uh, <laughs> and then we were told to go away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there was some really difficult times to begin with, uh, trying to get to play. 
But anyway, um, we uh, we took. I thought, well, we'd do this TUC demonstration in the town centre. I really ought to have something um, that chimed in with the occasion, and I had a um, a song that we we'd played at Triad and Bishop, the Triad and Bishop Stalford gig that we'd got earlier. Uh, it was it was uh, the late in the the year. Uh, previous they did a gig on uh, Christmas Eve and they wanted a load of punk bands to do a Christmas Eve uh, gig yeah, yeah. so we, we did that so at the time I, 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 I chucked some chords together quite quickly and then wrote some ad hoc lyrics for yeah, the yeah. evening because I wanted it to chime in with the evening so it was a load of nonsense going like I had another lager had another lager I had another Marlboro then another lager then another Marlboro. Uh, let's go. Happy Christmas and a Happy New Year. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It'd just do for the night, which it did for the night. And we got we were really drunk when we played, so it was an awful cacophony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought I'll take that and I'll write some new lyrics for this Christmas song, but instead it'll be. Out the Tories, and the demonstration was called "Kick Out the Tories." Yeah, mate, yeah. So I called it "Kick Out the Tories," yeah. and wrote quickly wrote a few lines uh, for for that particular gig, and I wrote it because I take a long time over lyrics. I spend a lot of time over music and lyrics. Really, really pernickety. But on that occasion, because it had to be done quickly, I just threw yeah. them together. Yeah, yeah. So I chucked words and chords together and then we played it that day out in the open air and it went down really well and that was it yeah yeah not to be played again because it was like it's not befitting of of the band because i spent no time at all on it yeah, throw away yeah, is yeah, the yeah. term yeah, yeah um but you know we 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 sort of like start getting our own material together and was playing that and how did it all uh, front line following when kick out the Tories. Oh, I might do it again. So, kick out, the, but I mean, I swear to God, I had no idea that I would be playing it 40 years later and yeah. playing it all the way through those years yeah. and the significance that um, that it would that would gather around it. The only thing I'd done from the original on the day was I'm. I mentioned Thatcher in it. Right, yeah, yeah. When we started playing it again, because it didn't matter to me in the first place, I come back to the lyrics again and thought, is there anything in this that I can you know, fine tune instead of it just being something that was throwaway? Yeah. And I thought, the Tories, if they get out, they'll be in again at some point. So take Thatcher out of it. Yeah. Keep it non specific. Yeah. And at that point, the song become applicable all through these years yeah, yeah. whereas a lot of the punk singles everyone had an anti-Thatcher song and it was literally anti-Thatcher yeah. uh, you know Thatcher this Thatcher that they mentioned her and I thought um, the, dis the, the Tories are despicable and they're despicable whoever yeah. leads them yeah. so I'll yeah, take the name it's an ideology yeah attack the ideology not yeah. the leader yeah, yeah. yeah and then that's made it applicable yeah. all the way through the years when um um, 
Tony Blair got in, we were playing it still because people wanted it and I felt uncomfortable about it and uh, it turned out that the way it was interpreted by most people was that Tony Blair was no more or no less than another Tory. Yeah. So yeah. it fitted in. Yeah. And some people actually thought I was singing, let's kick out that, that Tory, yeah, yeah. the Good ruler movie. of this land. Yeah, yeah. So it's it sort of like, oh, Okay, if that's what you think I sung, then why not? Because I'm, I'm, I like misinterpretation. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's funny. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think, why didn't they say that? It would be much better than that. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, a misappropriation of the the lyric, but it suited me down to the ground. So the fourth single was the ultimate song about living in a new town. Um, not quite. No, two more singles in oh, between. Okay, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, but how did that? How did that come about? Because you you, you took the, the members. Yeah. Music. What was your thinking behind that? Uh, well, um, I'd got. Um, it's quite a long time ago now, yeah. but I think what the sequence of events was. Uh, uh, we needed to um, uh, fill our uh, set list out. We didn't have enough songs at the yeah. time. Um, and uh, I had found a sort of um, tendency to take other people's songs and remap them for, for myself. I mean, I, I can't remember when I first started uh, thinking about repurposing other people's songs. Um, I thought, you know, initially probably I didn't do it right at the beginning because I thought it was dishonest or or wasn't valid as a as a thing, um, and uh, and then we sort of done it on and off because we we done the uh, flaming groovies and changed it into um, take instead of take some action, take strike action. We done the Ramones, Blitzkrieg Bob. Yeah. Uh, we done a slight one with Stand by Me, only by a middle line. That changed on that but the uh, you know we, we it become a thing that we did but the I think it was kicked off by uh, the member song because we I, I, I sort of worked out how to play it and I thought oh we could do this member song I think the intention was to do solitary confinement right yeah yeah um, and when I was putting the call together I found myself just going um, uh, um, living in a bit living in a, oh, I could be change it to Newtown that'd be that. yeah change it to Newtown yeah. yeah so I went into it a bit more and then I was thinking uh, when solitary confinement I think I was arcing back to this demonstration that we'd done when Kick Out the Tories was was born and I thought okay un unemployment yeah uh, living with Arnie solitary living with Arnie right okay yeah that works and then I went into the verses once I'd found the the anchor for it um, I went but into the verses started changing them and then we found that it was quite a good chord structure to elongate yeah. which we hadn't done it. Uh, we might have done oh yeah we had one called uh, Get On Your Nerves we still elongate that but we hadn't really elongated anything really at that time um, and so we thought this is good so um, and then it became a firm favourite of ours. Um, and when we committed it to to 
uh, to vinyl. Um, uh, we we checked out the publishing of it, and yeah. we we you know the the thing is it's um, you can change lyrics, but you can't you can't get part of the publishing. No. If I change the lyrics, and it's mega successful, then the members will benefit from that. Yeah. But I can't yeah. change it. I said, fair enough. I just want to do it. You know, if they earn off it, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that was all hunky dory. And as it turned out, it was a really popular number of hours. It yeah. becomes centre point or the end point of our set on many, many gigs. Um, and over the years, we found that uh, J.C. Carroll loved it. He really loved it. So he come and see us play uh, the Fulham Ground. And he said, you made an old man very happy. But Nicky Tesco didn't fucking like it. Okay. Yeah, because it's his bits that got jettisoned. Yeah, see yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The lyricist, obviously, was never going to... It was never going to sit very comfortably yeah. with him. And he was sort of like of the opinion, why don't they go off and write some songs of their own? Why don't they have to muck up ours? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but um, you know. But, that, but that, that, that brings people to attention of their song. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah, it all helps. They, they, yeah. Theirs would have come out in 79, mm. I would have said, and yours, because I've just checked, was 86. 86, yeah. You know, so that, it's yeah, it's like, quite that's quite a while. Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's introducing a new audience yeah. to the members. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, the, the only you know one of the irritating aspects of that is that the, as the members went after we'd released that and the members were going around playing different places they had people shout for living with unemployment instead of solitary confinement which irritated the hell out of them but um, you know at one point uh, JC said to me you know we really ought to do a version of living with unemployment seeing as you don't solitary confinement I think it was a and I fancy rather yeah. than the reality, but I said, you go ahead and do it, that'd be great. He hasn't. Um, but that, he, he, he stands head and shoulders with another great name who said they'd copy of, uh, do a version of uh, one of our songs and didn't. It's, uh, um, uh, um, Dead Kennedy's Jello okay. Biafra. Okay. Um, when the oil runs out, it was an all-time fave of his. And yeah, he yeah. said, we ought to, we, the Kennedy should do a version of it sometime. I said, okay, go and do it. But didn't, so, yeah. So you kind of like, when I, I saw you live once, which we've spoken about, which was 1983, the, the Leeds, Leeds yeah. Christmas on Earth punk festival. Yeah. Uh, and from memory, you were the most powerful band at that event, bearing in mind I'd seen the, the other bands quite a few mm. times, uh, but you got a big sound out of from being a, a free piece. You know, it was a mm. very big sound for a big hall. Mm. You know, it was a big hall. But how did you how did you get that power? Um, I, I don't, re I can't really say. I mean, built in. I think that once we got Simon um, Loman on drums, we really felt our potential. Yeah. And, um, and 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 then if you're a free piece, you can't sort of meander around with with things. It, it has a a built-in tendency to need for it to need to be direct. Yeah. Because you you can't go into a guitar solo. It just doesn't work. You know. Yeah. You can't do any finesse 
what you got to do, what what can you do in a free piece if you can't do finesse? Yeah. You could do power, yeah. anger, and and heartfelt yeah. intentions. Yeah, those two go together. Those three things go together um, to be a, a a pretty, you know, pretty powerful thing. And and our reputation was growing because of that directness, um, and. Um, and we were, you know, we, we'd found ourselves really because uh, um, uh, Colin and I, you know, grew up together playing music. Colin, Colin hadn't played an instrument before he picked up the bass to play with us. So we grew together. And then uh, Simon was so uh, early on in his musical um, ability that he grew then with the two of us. Yeah. And it, it was sort of, you know, a homegrown. Um, musical uh, knit the three of us it was it, it, we suddenly found ourselves we all three found ourselves musically and for a direction for our lives because that's what the main thing for all three of us is that it gave us a focus and a direction that we that made life worth living that we could hang all the other shit off of you know shit like having to try and earn a living on yeah or, you know, trying to uh, make bad things right, uh, trying to put your point of view across, all, and just general life. You know, we had, if we if we had shit to work through in our lives, we had the neurotics there to help us do it. Yeah. It's really important. And then, you know, that, that was the focus of the direction that our life would take from that point on. It's like anybody at a certain age, when you look back over the years from from when you was whatever there is a certain point you can everybody can identify that everything changed after that thing occurred yeah. or that meeting yeah. and for us it was like that um, that uh, punk happening just at that point in time meant that we were destined to have a completely different future yeah. than if it hadn't happened it would have been radically different. And I certainly was completely, you know, I was lost. I didn't know, I had no purpose. I couldn't really see any work that I wanted to do. I was low skilled. I had uh, dyslexia. I couldn't see anything that I could ever turn my hand to that was anything other than low paid grind. Yeah. Um, so at a point where my life looked like it was presenting only misery to me, Punk happened and gave me a future. It's um, quite a remarkable thing. And also, because I, I grew up in a, a new town, you had to find your own entertainment. Mm. You know, there wasn't yeah. uh, there wasn't venues certainly in in Livingston, which is where I grew up. So I suppose the band was your entertainment. Yeah, it was. And the other thing is, funny thing about it is. Uh, it's because there was no other alternative entertainment and a lot of other young people found that soul-destroying. Yeah. I too found it soul-destroying, but I had an outlet yeah. uh, uh, for it. I mean, there was a lot of people who resorted to glue-stiffing because, you know, there wasn't anything in, else in Harlow. And I had a very anti-Harlow um, attitude during those days. Um, but as the years went by, 
we almost moved to to uh, to the Netherlands right. as a band, okay. to, so that we could be in Europe and not yeah. have a, to keep coming over on the channel. We yeah. we could be in the centre of the European yeah. uh, um, uh, rock yeah. network. Yeah, yeah. We never quite did it, and uh, and uh, uh, and I wanted to get out of Harlow, and then I found myself with that dissipating. Yeah, um, and over the years, I'm doing. The, still having the neurotics we're doing other stuff as well um, the band uh, the, the town got more interesting yeah. got things start happening that you could do in the evening and then we got the square the magnificent square that we we, we uh, uh, based ourselves in as a catalyst from what we did yeah. um, and that went on for years and, and you know I, t I turned almost like a Stockholm uh, Stockholm Syndrome ended up loving the thing that had taken me hostage in yeah, the first yeah, place yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I felt so strange yeah. I ended up really finding a lot that I could get out of the town in these yeah. days so so you know there has been a tendency for people to, to want to know about new towns when they talk to me and I've got broad um, experience of that now and and we've got a new town song on uh, beggars can be choosers our first album and yeah. we've got a new town song, Take Your Dirty Hands Off Our Town, right. on our uh, album, that you know, yeah. our, our latest album. Yeah. Um, so there's a thread that goes on through there. And I've also written a book called New Town People. No, sorry, it isn't. It's called New Town Pioneers. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I haven't published it. I'm just yeah. sitting gathering dust at the moment. Okay. I mean, I've just sort of... Um, uh, I made sure that I didn't die before I'd finished the book because it yeah. was sitting around three quarters finished for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Just as I thought that I was an author, yeah. the band reactivated and I didn't have time for it. Right, okay, yeah. So then I pushed myself to finish it just in case I should die. Right, okay. Um, I couldn't bear the thought of the, of the book not yeah. not being completed. Once I finished it, I went. That's great. And then put it back into the cupboard again. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not intending, I'm not inclined to do anything with it at the moment. But um, if it comes down to a point where I'm not doing neurotics anymore, I might say, right, tidy it up and yeah. then uh, uh, put it around uh, publishers. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's got a lot of new town. It actually describes what Harlow started off being, what it meant to the people that moved into it. Yeah. It's about my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Not really music. I yeah. need to do one about the band at some point as well, yeah. but I'm done there. But it was. Uh, it's all about. It's a. It's a, fa a faction book. Um, yeah. And I've written about about Harlow and all the different aspects of it and my life in it. Yeah. And where uh, my memory no longer serves me, I I've invented a fiction part right. of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a mixture of fiction. Um, basically, what you're meant to do is you're meant to get involved with with the story that I tell, and as you go along, you get uh, insight into what Harlow was meant to do. Yeah, so yeah. it's sort of like I've seen books on Harlow; they're really dry. They yeah. are really boring, yeah. Yeah. and it's got an interesting tale to tell. Yeah. But it has to be done within the construct of something else. So yeah. it's a it's a story and a tale of. Um, of uh, dysfunction and, and, and stuff in my family, uh, but it's also, it describes what it's like. Yeah. 
you've said some of the similar things you know being uh, uh, today about Livingston it's yeah. sort of like being you know having nothing worth living for yeah. and, and you feel and yeah. you're in a new town which is meant to offer you the future yeah. Yeah, yeah. the future cannot be delivered immediately yeah. you have to wait for it to catch up yeah. well I'm sorry yeah. but I feel absolutely wretched now yeah. you know that's that's the gulf between the idea and yeah, the reality, yeah, yeah, um, and um, and that's what the book's about. But it it it, it, it it's sort of a mad tumble of of um, of uh, um, fantasy in places, yeah. And things. Really terrible book to actually uh, be able to aim at an audience, yeah, yeah, because it's so many different things, yeah. So it's probably you know, I don't know. Like anything, I don't have to do it. I don't have to write. It's got, it's got um, some weird poetry in it as well. Yeah. I don't have to write uh, the way that I'm supposed to write. I don't know how yeah, you're yeah. supposed to no, write. I don't want to know. There is no right to wrong. No. All I wanted to do is just express yeah. what I've gone through yeah, yeah. and I'll do it. You know, um, and I don't know it, uh, what its potential will be like, but it will certainly be, uh, it's an unusual book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sits in, in between being a, 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 docu a document of, of what Harlow, uh, the ideas that made Harlow, yeah. and also the ideas that made me an adult. Yeah. Because I, I, a lot of it I write in, in the viewpoint of me as a little boy. Yeah. And I don't know if it made sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I'll go on for ages for that. Better not. A couple more things. One is you've got a film, a documentary yeah. coming out September. Yes. Tell it's us like, a bit about that. It's obviously about the, the new town neurotics. It's about, it's sort of um, about... Um, the path that we've spoken about today that I've been through, but on top of all of that, it's got the history of uh, um, of uh, left-wing politics and the, the battles uh, uh, that we had with uh, with ideas in the 80s, uh, either with you know with uh, uh, fascists um, attacking us, or we are attacking verbally Tories or musically Tories. Um, it's about it's about the the, uh, the just by chance happening that punk happened when it did for me. Yeah. yeah and it you know that, as we we've spoken about it today, but it's it it, it starts off with uh, how that capitalist appeared. It's almost like something is offered to you, and it's like if you take if you don't take this you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And you're not even sure you're able to do anything with the thing that's being offered to you, yeah. but you you take a chance. So, punk happened, I decided to put aside any embarrassment I might have of, of barely being able to play guitar and start a band and play in front of people. And uh, I, I didn't really know whether I could be a front man I didn't know if I could be a guitarist. I didn't know if I could be a songwriter. I didn't know if I could be a musician. And to, you know, uh, and for many, many years, and I, I didn't actually, I, I didn't know when I could say I was a musician. Yeah. It didn't feel like it at the beginning. I didn't know 
you're not taking a, uh, an exam where you get a bit of paper saying you're now a musician, which you can do, of course, now. Of course. But, but that, in those days, it's like, when do I become a musician and not someone who's bashing uh, six strings and open and sound comes out? Yeah, yeah. Somewhere along the line, I looked back at what I'd done and thought, I think I'm a musician now. I can't remember when that was. But at the time that, um, that, I, that punk happened, I happened. Yeah. And it was I was never the same again after that. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really, it was really important to me to to take what I learned from that and, and make use of it. So you see that in the film, uh, you see the uh, uh, the strikes and the rioting and all the other stuff uh, going on that happened in the eighties, and how we weaved our way through that. How our story is weaved into that. Uh, and then you see that you know the the, the band start getting recognition and uh, and um, three quarters of the way into it that's when COVID struck. Yeah. So three quarters of the way into it, uh, it it went a bit further and did some more stuff. And then so much happened in COVID that it, we had to draw it back in again to make sense of the story to now. Yeah. So it's got a new end to it. Um. And he talks about the challenges and the ideas that we were putting across. And it's got a lot of people, famous and non-famous people, who give their impressions of what the band meant to them, how, how we come across to them yeah. when they first saw us, and why they, they what, as you say earlier, how free people could come across so powerfully. Yeah, yeah. And, and Phil Jupiter says exactly what you, yeah. you said. He said, for free people, I said, I just, you know, I just could not understand how powerful they were for yeah. free people. Yeah, yeah. He says that, innit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were powerful, you know. It's, it's, you, you, you were, 40 years ago, it was a, mm. an, an everlasting memory of, uh, of a day. was, you know, that, that's, that, you, you were the band that stood out on that day for me. Yeah, and of my friends as well. But, yeah, you know, and, and I, and so, as, as I said to you earlier, the uh, I've had more feedback about that gig than any other gig I've played in my life. Yeah. And it happens all the time. Yeah. I meet new people. So I saw you at Leeds, at, the, <laughs> at that huge cavern of a venue. Bus station. Bus station, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was there before it opened up and it, it was just this vast hall, it, it just empty, you yeah. know, and it was just like, and then obviously saw it when it was filled up a bit later they said there's so many people that were really knocked out by our set <clears throat> and for me I you know the challenge yeah. was there for me yeah, to yeah. stand in front of uh, so many people in that huge place yeah that, there's no nuance that can come through on that it is not it, it's the sort of gig you need big screens up with camera yeah. on you to yeah, see yeah. it properly these days <clears throat> these days so the only way that I could, you know, that I felt that we could get the band across is to, is to just be as powerful and as direct and as good as we could do in that cacophony. Yeah. Because even the sound, the sound was atrocious. Yeah, it was. For, not because we, the sound for us, ours might have been a bit better, but in the main, uh, the largest stage, yeah. the sound just got lost in the hall. Yeah, yeah. So we had to really, really fight to get across what we wanted to get across. And at the end of it, we wasn't entirely sure we had, yeah. you know, because 
all we could say was uh, it felt like a great gig weird venue it yeah. felt good yeah. uh, we'd done as, as best as we could so we were happy with that yeah. but the feedback um, whatever feedback we got on the day we must have got some but I don't ever remember coming away thinking that everybody was really uh, really keyed into to, to what we were doing yeah but the feedback come over the years. Yeah. Loads and loads of different people say, what a gig that was. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was really good. So I'm really yeah. pleased about that, to get that. It's great to, to, you know, to be alive long enough to get yeah. feedback from people yeah. such as yourself all those years back from there, you know. But it's great. Yeah, that was... That, that turned out to me, uh, to, for me to understand, that was a quite a pivotal yeah. uh, gig for us... Um, uh, in that area of, of the country because yeah. we, we tried to get up there as much as we could in those days yeah. they tended to be pretty small gigs and things but yeah. on that one we were in front of more people probably than we had done yeah. in, 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 um, in, that, in, the, in that part of the country yeah. we, you know, we, we struggled to get to Scotland and we never did till yeah. quite recently yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's sort of about sort of ish Northern-ish yeah, that we yeah. managed yeah, yeah. to get, um, and then of course we saw a lot of the, the uh, people who come to that wouldn't have seen us down south at any time. So this yeah. was their one, well, not their one chance, but this is their first chance to actually see us play live. We 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 obviously pulled it off, and people come away thinking, "Great band," yeah, yeah. and that helped yeah. us a lot after yeah. that. Yeah. So forty-three years down the line. What will we do when the oil runs out? Well, there's a thing. If, funnily enough, if yeah. it does run out, it's because we won't be pulling it out of the ground anymore. Yeah. And if that's happening, then we might have a future on this planet. This is the thing. So, when the oil runs out, is, um, is actually a decision we make. As yeah. it turns out, because what I mean, the the original single was about the oil crisis in the seventies when the Saudis turned the tap off. Yeah, yeah. that was a political decision they yeah. made, yeah. and it threw the whole of the Western economy into um, uh, deep recession. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a long time ago, and it might, you know, the question that should have come out of that was that. Our society is dependent on this raw material and just this raw material. Yeah, yeah. If someone can switch a top, tap off like that and destroy our economies, yeah. you know, why? Well, what are we going to do? What's and, the backup? What's the backup? And uh, the, the reason why it was uh, Three Days of the Condor was a film that asked that question yeah, yeah. with um, Robert Redford in. And it was because of that film that my ideas come together about when the oil runs out. And the thing is, it's a question that we should have been asking ourselves all the way down the line. I mean, in those days, it didn't have solar power or anything, but yeah, yeah. but it was being talked about in the 70s. Hippies, those, those Californian hippies <laughs> that were had their heads in possible futures were yeah, talking yeah. about this sort of thing. But, yeah. um, but you know, to, to the terrorism that has followed through the shenanigans that... Um, Britain and the US uh, and, and and many other countries for that matter have taken place to wrestle um, the oil supply 
to, uh, to their, their influence. The country that's going to be this, the biggest country and the most powerful nation on earth is going to be the one that has the most oil. That's the reality of it. Yeah. And because we all addicted to oil, completely addicted, and if it stops, we stop. Yeah. So, um, with that in mind, from that point on, after the oil crisis, yeah. then, we should have been making sure we never have to rely on these yeah. despots yeah, yeah. because we have to we have to side luck to them and and deal with dictators just so that we can make sure that the oil doesn't get switched off yeah, to yeah. us that the price per barrel yeah. uh, is sufficient for us not to to descend yeah. into uh, de uh, recession or depression and and so, you know, what are we going to do when the oil runs out? You know, well, if it was to stop, not through running out, yeah, but yeah. if it was switched off by the OPEC countries, um, the Saudis, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Now we're talking about, well, we know what we... One thing we shouldn't do is be using more oil. No, yeah. And yeah. yet there is solar power and wind power, all these green yeah. technologies that with enough investment in them yeah. could completely remove the need to pander to the Saudis or any or, or invade countries like Iraq to get yeah. hold of the oil all the power we need is above us on our head yeah and, yeah and, yeah uh, True, and in wind yeah and and, and other, other green technologies and um, you know the uh, uh, solar solar energy and the amount of roofs there are in this country you you get a, a, a solar panels onto every possible roof that can make the most of it um you'd have you'd have more power than we need from oil now and loads more yeah. in fact it would it would uh, with enough investment to kick it off it, in fact it would it would cost nothing to yeah. do because the more people that had them on their roofs and the more free electricity come through yeah. the whole lot would be a zero sum game yeah, yeah. You, there would be no investment really needed. Yeah. It would pay for itself in micro pennies. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we should do when we decide the oil should run out because it's our our um, decision now. Because yeah. they found plenty more since those uh, yeah, days of seventies, yeah, yeah. and they they even think it'd be a good idea to wrap up. Um, rip up the substrata yeah, yeah. of of the ground underneath Blackpool yeah. and places for fracking to yeah. get shit oil out. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is yeah. this is something that needs to stop. Yeah. And and there is there's not just what I say and what other people say, there is an absolute need for us to have a uh, what this country needs as a nation is a punk moment that I had in 1977 yeah, yeah, yeah. 78 um, a single incident that changes everything for the better yeah. and I think that is to that that is for alternative energy and alternative ways of structuring how we work yeah. and what we do with work and how we we fund um, our universities our schools, our health service, all of those things need to happen. And in fact, it can happen um, 
by something that's not written on the side of a bus. It, it'd yeah. be something with with a, a commitment to investment into green technologies, which will then pay for themselves, and then our balance of payments don't have to be buying expensive oil from the Saudis, and we get to breathe unpolluted air yeah. and have a future and a weather system that's more reliable yeah. than we've got at the moment. So there is my solution. This is what I have learned yeah. from all those years. Yeah. Um, and although it has happened, it wasn't a conscious thought of mine to write a song called When the Oil Runs Out and yeah. then at the other end of our career to write a song called Climate Emergency. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really... It, yeah. it, it's a natural thing. It's yeah. not like I've been involved in, in green technologies all my life. Yeah. I haven't. Um, but I'm, I've got a, you know, an ear open to what happens around me yeah. and I, I watch what's going on around me. The OPEC oil crisis at one end, the, um, uh, the, the financial crisis, of, um, COVID-related mayhem that this country's had to or the world has had to try and navigate through yeah. and still have an economy at the other end of it you know all of those things obviously are going to feed into what I write about yeah. Yeah. and that's that's where it is um, you know and I can't you know uh, there are certain things that happen around me I can't I simply can't write about because yeah. um, you can pontificate on how many Angels, you can balance on, on a pinhead. Yeah. Um, you can do poetry with it, which is fine, but it isn't me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't do that. I do more direct stuff. Yeah. But but it isn't. But I, you know, there are. I think there is some um, eloquence within what I write. It's not. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah. Kick the Tories does, and we sometimes get. Um, misunderstood people don't look far enough into our material and think that we're a, a shouty band of slogans yeah yeah you couldn't be further from the truth that is something we do we do lots of other different types of approaches into yeah. into our music and our songs loads yeah um and i've i you know i've that was a that was a one-off it was a throwaway song. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's shouty. Yeah. And every other song I've written since then has yeah. been not throwaway and yeah. I've taken a lot of time and effort over it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am not trying to diss it. I am more than happy that people love that song, yeah, yeah. even though it was throwaway to begin yeah. with. Yeah. I'm just happy that they're into uh, into that song and then that was a gateway to, to listen to the rest of our stuff. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be... Into, eternally grateful for both punk and and that chance um geek which spawned yeah uh, kick out stories they're all great moments yeah and it was a great moment that i could say happened in my town and not in a venue outside of it yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. we didn't have a venue yeah but as soon as they said we're going to do this demonstration we'd like you to play on a stage outside yeah that's a venue in the town we're certainly going to do that yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Druitt, Newtown Neurotics, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, mate. Thank pleasure. you. Thank you.